0: It took the pandemic to bring a polarized Congress together this past spring, when the House and Senate rallied to pass $3 trillion in relief for Americans out of work and struggling businesses. But the partisan swords came out again over the summer, as Republicans and Democrats failed to agree on legislation on another round of virus relief, to improve policing, or just about anything else. Congress had trouble governing before the pandemic hit. Now, well, it's simply a mess. Congress has largely become a dysfunctional institution, unable to meet the critical needs of our country, says a new report, Congress at a Crossroads, produced by the Association of Former Members of Congress. The report is scathing and calls out a culture that rewards power over progress and conflict over consensus. So add a pandemic to the mix, and things seem to be rock bottom. Can Congress ever again regain its stature as a governing body? We talked to two representatives who've played a big role in helping the House navigate the pandemic. Rules Committee Chairman Jim McGovern of Massachusetts and the top Republican on the panel, Tom Cole of Oklahoma. We begin with Chairman McGovern. Welcome to the show, Congressman McGovern. Thank you. Tell our listeners, what's it like to be a lawmaker right now compared with the past?
1: Yeah, it's it's a little bit crazy. Uh, obviously, we're operating uh, differently. I mean, we most of my office is operating from home. Um, I'm doing lots of zoom and teams calls and uh, and it's strange because as a politician you used to be dealing with people in person and dealing with your colleagues in, in, in person and the way we're you know operating here in the house of representatives is a little bit different we're doing uh hearings remotely uh or in a hybrid way and uh we've paved the way for uh remote voting by proxy uh which has enabled people uh, from areas that have been heavily hit by the pandemic to be able to vote and uh, participate from home. So it, it's, it's very, very different.
0: Do you feel like you're able to keep tabs on your constituents and, and your colleagues in this kind of environment, what, the, what they're thinking?
1: So I've been doing a lot of, uh, you know, teletown halls. I've been doing Facebook Lives. I've been doing, you know, question and answers on Instagram. I've been you know, trying to communicate as, as much as I can through those means and those mechanisms. Uh, and, and I'm getting out now more and more back home, but obviously uh, in, in a limited way. I just completed uh, two days of, of, of touring local farms in my district uh, and, uh, you know, obviously uh, safely distancing from the people that I'm meeting with, but uh, nonetheless getting out there and getting around. You know, I'm lucky I have a social media infrastructure to be able to communicate more directly with my constituents. But it's, again, it it takes a little bit of an adjustment. Uh, There's nothing quite like a town hall in person. Uh, And, um, but we can't do that right now. So we have to find other ways of communicating.
0: You mentioned that it's difficult to know what the future holds, but this is the CQ Future podcast. We're trying to give our listeners some sense. What are you preparing for? What's possible going forward? Are you thinking there'll be a, a, a return to normalcy Fairly quickly, or are things more likely to change for the long haul?
1: Well, look, um, the one thing this pandemic has shown us is that uh, you know there are great inequities and inequalities in, in our country. And so when people say, "I want to go back to normal," I always respond by saying, i want I want to do better than normal." Uh, we need to fix some of the uh, systemic and inherent problems in our country uh, and understand that there are lots of people being left out. In terms of how Congress operates, uh, Look, I, I, I think one of the great things about this institution uh, is when we're all together and we're dealing with each, with each other face-to-face. And even though we have put in mechanisms to help us operate remotely, um, I look forward to the day w- where we can get back to dealing with each other again uh, in a more personal way and and, and, and dealing with, with each other face-to-face. Um, you know, the, the, the Rules Committee pa- paved the way for remote voting by proxy and for doing hearings uh, remotely and in a hybrid way, working with the House Administration Committee. Uh, But I said, as we were bringing these things to the floor to change the rules, uh, I don't want to change the character of Congress. Um, I I look forward to the day we get back and we can operate, you know, uh, in a more one-on-one way.
0: You hope those changes are merely temporary, the proxy voting which allows members who aren't in Washington to cast a ballot.
1: Right. I mean, the, 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 the remote voting by proxy and the, the remote hearings that we're having, um, I, I hope, are, are, are I want them to be temporary. They're not meant to be permanent. They're not meant to, to change the way Congress operates. Look, we, we needed to have something in place to deal with unique situations like this pandemic. We didn't have anything in place. Uh, and it is especially important during a pandemic for example, that we, we, we operate. You, know, you look back at, at 1918, Congress ceased to function during the Spanish flu. And as a result, I mean, there was an instance where you know, they were trying to get more doctors uh, to be deployed to uh, rural areas of this country, and Congress just wasn't functioning.
0: A couple of members died, I believe. Right, yeah, and, but,
1: but not only members, but citizens across this country died because Congress failed to operate. We we can't afford to have that happen. So I'm I'm proud of the changes that we made. I'm proud that we have adapted. I regret that uh, the Republican leadership, many, uh, you know, defied really the wishes of a lot of their members who urged me to do this. But basically, it politicized this. But nonetheless, we are functioning and we are getting things done. And I'm proud of the way the Rules Committee has been operating as well. But I look at this as temporary, not as permanent.
0: What about Congress as an open institution? It's a place where members of the public can can go to a hearing, can walk the halls of the office buildings. It's a place where the representatives and senators are often interviewed by reporters right there in the hallways outside of the floor where they vote. Will we see that again?
1: Well, I still bump into reporters who are waiting for me outside uh, the uh, the House floor after votes, uh, and uh, I welcome that because it is important that we have transparency. But the hearings... Uh, that we're conducting um, you know are are transparent. They're all you know live streamed and people can watch and see what's going on Uh, and same with you know the proceedings on the House floor. Everything is out in the open and everything is live streamed and in fact the remote voting by proxy I mean you know who's voting that way because we have to announce it twice uh, before it uh, before it is official. So I mean everything is the transparency hasn't been compromised or sacrificed here uh, but again, going back to what I said at the beginning, you know one of the the, the things that I really value about the way Congress has operated over the years is, is that you know that is that in person contact with one another I mean that you can actually pull a member uh, even of the other party you know off the floor and have a conversation about how to move something forward it 's more difficult to do that when you 're communicating on phone or you know, on uh, Teams or Zoom or whatever, I, I look forward to getting back to that. But we are we are functioning uh, in a way that I think is consistent with all of our values and what, what the American people want. And on the Rules Committee, um, even though it takes like forever to cast a vote uh, because we have to vote in in groups, uh, I'm proud of the fact that we have brought hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of amendments. Uh, to the House floor for debate uh, and, uh, and for consideration. We've given chair men and women the on-block uh, authority to be able to bring a bunch of these amendments together to be able to vote on them, but we haven't sacrificed uh, the ability of individual members to be able to be heard.
0: What about compromise? I mean, it seems like the bipartisan spirit that often accompanies a national crisis was more short-lived this time around than in the past. What's your assessment? I agree,
1: and I don't really understand why. Um, You know, we passed the HEROES Act several months ago. I get it. Some of the, you know, Republicans, especially on the right-wing side, don't like every provision in it. Well, then pass your own, and then we'll negotiate, uh, you know, between the two bills. But they haven't even passed their own bill. I mean, there's no Republican alternative to it. And I find that hard to stomach. I mean, we are in a crisis the likes of which we have never seen in our lifetime. People are hurting. Uh, and for them to sit on their hands and do absolutely nothing is unconscionable. So I I, I understand the the importance of compromise. I mean, I know I'm not going to get everything I want, uh, but at least come to the table, at least give us an alternative, and let's negotiate uh, between the differences between our, our points of view. And we're not even getting that, and um, and really that is shameful. And I I, I and I really think that um, you know voters doesn't matter what their political persuasion are, are going to hold to account those senators, you know, who allowed uh, nothing to happen.
0: At the moment, oversight is a, is a key responsibility of Congress. You did, over the, in the spring, in the CARES Act, uh, pass over $2 trillion in aid. And, of course, there's the question of how the administration is, is fighting the virus. Is it harder to conduct oversight in this kind of environment where you're remote?
1: There are challenges, but nonetheless, it's happening, right? I, you know, I'm proud of the fact that I was the author of the bill to to create the special committee uh, to to oversee how the money uh, that has been appropriated through the Cares Act is being spent. Um, It was modeled after a similar committee that then Senator Harry Truman headed uh, to make sure that the monies that were being allocated for World War II were actually going to where they needed to go. Now Jim Clyburn is the head of it. He's doing some. Uh, oversight hearings right now, and I think they're going very, very well. Um, But look, we also have run into a problem where we have an administration, unlike any previous administration, which is throwing roadblocks on oversight every chance they get. And so one of the things we're going to have to uh, deal with when we come back, um, and maybe in the next Congress, is how do we put more teeth into uh, congressional power to enforce subpoenas and to enforce... Administration compliance. Um, you know, this administration under Trump thinks, you know, that, that they're, you know, dictators. They operate like authoritarians, Like they, they're only, they don't, they accountable to nobody. But the fact of the matter is, we have to make sure uh, that we never encounter a situation like this ever in the future. This is they're eroding our institutions and our checks and balances in a way that is not only undermining our democracy, but uh, I think is uh, hurting our country in a thousand different ways.
0: Well, given the the penchant for executive action that the president has, has shown, and, and he's not the first, I, President Barack Obama also used some executive actions uh, because of frustration with Congress's handling of immigration policy. I mean, is it possible that the future of Congress is that Congress will be less relevant, that presidents will take these matters into their own hands? I mean, we're seeing President Trump right now trying to extend virus relief in the absence of a new law from Congress.
1: And he can't really, right? I mean, so that's, so there are limits to his power, even if he doesn't know that there are limits to his power. You know, um, one of the things that we're doing in the rules committee right now, with the help with, in in conjunction with uh, my colleague, uh, Congressman uh, Tom Cole of Oklahoma, is we're doing, we started a set of hearings before this pandemic to talk about congressional authority and making sure that uh, we reclaim uh, our constitutional authorities. You know, we're talking about potential legislation that would take effect in the next administration, whoever that may be. But whether you're a Democrat or Republican, whether you like Trump or not, you should be beside the point as to whether or not we want to respect the Constitution and we want to preserve uh, Congress's rightful authority. I mean, there needs to be checks and balances in this country. Otherwise, we become a monarchy. We become authoritarian, uh, authoritarian regime. We don't want to do that. Um, and, um, and so whether it's a Democrat or Republican in the White House, we need to insist that whoever he or she may be, that they understand what their role is and they understand what our role is. And I think we may have to move forward with legislation to enshrine that even more emphatically uh, into the law.
0: Okay, Congressman McGovern, let's, let's look forward a few years. The, the pandemic has passed us. Is Congress the same as it was in 2019, or is there
1: a new world? Well, I hope that uh, a Congress of 2024 uh, is more democratic. Number one, but I, I, I would, I would, I would like to believe that we're a Congress that is more prepared uh, to deal with catastrophes like this pandemic. I would like to think that regular order, um, which we are trying to embrace again under the Democratic majority, is 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 standard. That that there is a, a culture here where we're willing to work with one another uh, for the good of the American people. Uh, and that this extreme partisanship comes to an end. I mean, look, we all have different points of view. I, I feel strongly about a lot of issues. I know my Republican colleagues feel strongly about a lot of issues, but at the end of the day, we, we have to move this government forward. So no more shutdowns, no more, you know, no more, you know, catastrophic events that uh that that we can control and uh and i also hope that we have a, a congress that is working with uh an administration uh that uh, wants to solve problems and not create problems
0: congressman mcgovern we appreciate you joining us
1: happy to be with you be safe
0: and now my interview with the rules committee's top republican tom cole of oklahoma Congressman Cole, thank you for coming on our show. We appreciate it.
2: Very much my privilege. Thank you.
0: So Congress recently left for its August uh, work period where the members go home to their districts. The House and Senate were unable to agree on another round of virus relief. How have things become so caustic around this issue?
2: Well, look, I think uh, we're in the middle of a very heated election cycle. Uh, there's a great deal of uh, polarization that's been underway for a number of years. Add to that, the partisan overlay. So hopefully we can get past this and uh, get something done before the end of September. I'd be more than happy to come back uh, if we could get a reasonable deal and uh, would be anxious to support it. I mean, we did four times in a row. I think we did a really good job working together. So it's not like this is something we can't do, but neither side's going to be able to dictate to the other.
0: You mentioned the four times you came together around virus relief earlier in this spring. And that's, that's typical of Congress during a national crisis, that there is a surge of bipartisanship. But it seemed like it was unusually short-lived this time. I mean, what's your assessment?
2: Well, I, you know, I don't know if it was unusually short-lived. I'm actually pretty proud of Congress. I mean, that was basically an eight to 10-week period where we did four bills over $3 trillion. Uh, we normally appropriate $1.4 trillion in a year if we get it done on time in 12 separate bills with thousands of amendments. So I think it was a pretty extraordinary accomplishment. Uh, but again, I think, uh, you know, you saw a divergence. The Republican position after four was, okay, we've got all this moving. We've got Fed stimulus in addition to that. Let's wait and see how this works. And Democrats wanted to plunge ahead and they added a lot of stuff in the bill since they knew it was just going to be their bill that uh, were clearly going to be unacceptable to Republicans.
0: Thinking more broadly about governing during the pandemic, I'm curious what it's like to be a lawmaker right now compared with the past. I mean, you're used to being out amongst the people, talking to reporters, talking to your colleagues, um, going to lots of events. Uh, how is it different for you?
2: Well, its uh, I tell you what, it is really uh, dramatically different. Uh, You're dependent more on technology, uh, both to communicate with your own staff, to communicate with the media, to communicate with people in your own district. Uh, You know, I I told my staff, I'm used to spending August, you know, kind of traveling over 16 counties where I'm, you know, kicking the tires and talking to the people on Main Street and answering questions and doing a lot of town hall meetings. Uh, We haven't been able to do any of that. I feel more out of touch with my own district than I ever have during my congressional career. In Washington, I think um, uh, you miss the interaction with other members first, uh, on the floor and in other places because a lot of business gets done that way. And uh, you know a lot of this is impressions, form, discussions that are informal. Those things are much more difficult to do now. And, uh, you can survive for a while on the capital that you've built up, the relationship you have with other members, the reputation you've established. But if this continues very long, particularly for new members, uh, they're not growing in the way that, that you would want them to grow. The act of voting itself, you know, we used to be able to sit there and put up 30 amendments, uh, and uh, vote on them in two minute increments. You can't do that anymore. And you do all these en blanc amendments. Well, You know, that's really, you have a chance with an individual amendment, but if you're an en bloc amendment, you're really doomed by whatever your block you happen to be.
0: Right. That's an amendment that is, uh, encapsulates several other amendments.
2: Right. So if you're with the bipartisan group or the Democratic group, you're going to make. If you're with the Republican groups, you're not. And it'd be the same if we were running it. I'm not being critical. Of my Democratic friends, I, look. I think they're doing the best they can. So it's not, but it does change everything, and it limits the power of and influence of individual members, uh, both on the floor and in places like conference. Uh, you, know, uh, I, you know, people see the rhetoric on the floor, but the really important speeches take place in the Democratic conference and the Republican conference when individual members get up, make a point. Leaders are listening. Uh, they can move the whole conference. Uh, and uh, those things are, you know, we had, we've had one or two conference meetings since this started in March. Normally, they happen every week when we're in session. Uh, and even then, you're scattered across the congressional auditorium, you're up uh, in the balcony, and some people are participating by Zoom because you can't even accommodate the minority in a single location. It must be much more difficult for the Democrats in the House with a larger number. So all that changes the way we legislate, changes the nature of the institution. And um, look, you can make a case that we have to do it now. I don't agree with the case because I see the Senate functioning a little bit more normal than we are, but we're bigger. And again, I'm not critical of people on the other side. I disagree but I, I don't think it's done out of partisanship or spite or, I mean, they're, they're genuinely worried. They're genuinely trying to work through this. I know that's certainly true with Jim McGovern, who's the chairman of the Rules Committee and sort of been the point person for the speaker on this. So I have no, no uh, qualm, but I think they would tell you. Um, and matter of fact, I think we all we want to get back to operating normally as we can, as quickly as we can.
0: Now, you mentioned proxy voting. The Democrats earlier this year implemented a proxy voting system that allows members of the House to vote when they are not physically present on the House floor. That's the first time in American history that that was permitted. You opposed it on the grounds that it would uh, cause some of the problems that you've just mentioned. Given that it's been done now, Are you concerned that it might be rolled out again in less severe circumstances?
2: I am very much concerned. That's been my concern all along, that we would set a precedent uh, that was a bad precedent. Look, we have dozens of members not showing up. We had 68 Democrats not coming to the postal vote thing, which we were told was critical enough that we had to come back in the middle of an August break on a Saturday to cast something we knew was not going anywhere in the Senate. And the president wouldn't sign. It issued a veto threat. We had comparable numbers. Uh, it's varied between the mid-30s up to the low 70s on the Democratic side. And I know we have a lot of members, particularly newer members, quite frankly, that haven't been around very long, that thinks, oh, this is great. It's really not. I mean, you know, I find the members are actually more in a bubble in their own district sometimes than they are on the floor because the districts on both sides are very homogeneous these days, politically, and their thinking. So a lot of members don't really get exposed to the other point of view until they're in a committee meeting or they're on the floor and they're in exchanges. Um, and that's that's sad. And to form consensus, uh, you have to know one another. You have to, and a lot of times uh, people get to know people as human beings.
0: Now, you mentioned the $3 trillion in coronavirus relief that Congress has passed this year. Uh, That's about twice the normal federal appropriation. So oversight is very important at the moment. But the uh, committees are also meeting remotely. They're hearing from witnesses remotely. What's your assessment of how oversight is going in this atmosphere?
2: Well, probably a little bit better than I would have anticipated. Uh, That is, I don't find the people participating remotely in hearings as much of a problem as I do on the floor. Although even there, again, a lot of this stuff is, you know, leaving the podium and walking into the cloakroom or the ways and means, and and just chatting with somebody.
0: Now, one thing maybe our listeners don't know is how really open a place Congress was before the pandemic. I mean, in our post-9/11 world, where offices are much more locked down, the public can still walk the halls of uh, the congressional office buildings and go to hearings. The press has uh, great access to members, where there a lot of the interviewing happens in the halls outside the the House floor or in outside committee rooms. That has been put on hold because of the pandemic. Will it return? Will Congress ever be that open place again?
2: Well, I certainly hope so. Uh, you know, it's one of the great marketplaces for ideas and political dialogue in the world. Uh, and it's lonely when you're up there now. And you're used to saying, I like seeing all the summer tourists and all the families coming in, bringing their kids, and they're trooping through the halls while you're going uh, about your job. And uh, I love that. It's all gone. And, uh, you know, you walk around Rayburn or whatever, you still get the occasional visit, but, you know, you don't have your whole staff there. And uh, and it's pretty much, you know, it's ghostly to be in Rayburn. Um, So uh, this needs to be restored as quickly as we can. Again, I'm not critical of the house physician or anybody who's trying to keep people safe. Uh, And this could be, uh, uh, just as it's a great marketplace for ideas, it could be a great marketplace for coronavirus too, because you got people coming in from all over the country and then spreading back out over the country. So uh, I get the need for precautions, but uh, we need to get back to normal as quickly as we can. And I don't know a member of Congress that doesn't think that's a good idea, that would prefer that. Um, But again, I do think the newer members, uh, and maybe it's because they're, in many cases, also younger members, uh, you know, they think the technology is the same. And Maybe I'm an old fogey. I don't think it is. I don't think it replaces uh, the, uh, the face-to-face, uh, even the casual meeting that you have passing one another in a hall. All those things build human capital, build relationships, uh, and make it possible uh, to, uh, to come together. Um, and without that, it's just, you know, I, I think you're much more likely, again, as I said, to not bump into people uh, if you're in your own district, look, I'm in a district, that the president's going to carry two to one. Uh, he's certainly not going to win the country, whether he wins or loses, by anything like that, a mar- margin. I learn a lot when I'm talking to my colleagues from other districts whose constituents see it in a very different way. And they talk, we talk, you know, uh, politicians are like, we're going to talk sports, okay? And our sport is politics. So we're talking about that all the time much more difficult when we're only meeting over formal sessions, you know, limited on the floor. A lot of political discussion takes place on the floor. Uh, But now, with 60 or 70 members on the floor instead of hundreds, and maybe not the people you particularly wanted to talk to, or you just don't bump into somebody, uh, again, the the nature of the dialogue and, and the nature of the relationship between the members changes over time. And the longer this goes on, my opinion, the worse it will be.
0: You mentioned the growing polarization in the country. That's been a long-term trend. But it seems that in the last several months, extreme voices have dominated both on the virus and on um, race relations and that a lot of people in the country are just feeling very angry at the moment. What's your forecast in terms of uh, coming out of this, the partisanship levels in the Congress and whether deal-making is likely to occur like it once did?
2: Uh, I think over time, uh, deal-making will continue to turn. To, again, I point to uh, the pre-COVID, we had impeachment going on. I mean, the president's not, you know, doesn't get his vote, uh, I think, in the Senate, if I recall correctly, February the 5th. So that, that's pretty right? And yet Congress, uh, in the crisis immediately managed to get four major bills done in a bipartisan way. And I would also point out, we also got uh, in the House and the Senate's moving along nicely too, uh, the National Defense Authorization Bill done on overwhelming bipartisan vote, actually less partisan this year than last year. I would expect we'll come to an agreement in September and be able to get that done before the end of the fiscal year between the two chambers. But we certainly came to an agreement uh, inside the House and the Senate uh, will as well. Uh, We also got the Great Outdoors Act, which arguably is the most important environmental and certainly most important legislation for water infrastructure and for um, maintenance of the national park system in 20, 30 years. And that was a hugely bipartisan vote, first in the Senate, then in the House, went on to the president. He's already signed it uh, into law. So Congress is able to do more than most people think. Looking
0: ahead, do you see a return to just the way things were, or do you think there will be lasting effects of the pandemic on the institution of Congress?
2: Well, remember, Congress, when you ask that question, you're really asking the question about the country. Uh, Because all Congress does is reflect the country. You know, people sometimes think change starts in Washington, D.C. and works its way down. It's the other way around. For instance, the polarization in Congress is a reflection of the polarization in the country and not the cause of it. So I think you're really asking, is the country going to change? And I would argue probably. I mean, this isn't the, the most polarized we've ever been. This isn't the 1850s. We're not on the verge of civil war. Uh, you know, and uh, uh, that sort of ebbs and flows. Now, in terms of the institution itself, there's several constants that I think will bring it back. Uh, you know, the reality is, it's, uh, I always say Congress is like a small town, you know, it's 435 people in the house. Everybody knows who ties at church. Everybody knows who donates to the Girl Scouts and the Boy Scouts. Everybody knows who you can borrow a lawnmower from. Everybody knows who will bring the lawnmower back. So you really get to, that isn't going to change. Members, over time, get to know one another with an intimacy that is very hard for other people to understand. And they t- tend to appreciate the human qualities uh, that so often aren't seen on the floor when when there's sort of a scripted, you know, partisan response. I don't think those things go away. Uh, now, again, I worry a little bit uh, that we get in the habit of uh, virtual committee meetings and uh, proxy votes. I think those things really would damage. But so far, uh, while the Democrats have used them more than I would like, they're not a permanent part of the rules. They terminate at the end of this Congress. And I take my Democratic friends at their word when they say, look, this is a temporary emergency. We, we do not want to go back. I know that's what the leadership thinks. I'm not sure that's what a lot of the younger members rank and file think. Uh, but, uh, look, Speaker Pelosi was one of the last people that wanted anybody to leave the House.
0: Thanks so much, Congressman Cole. Thank you. Thank you. That's our first look at the future of Congress. You can find CQ Future at RollCall.com or your favorite podcast app. For all of us at CQ Roll Call, I'm Sean Zeller.